Hello friends and welcome to your slightly delayed Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. It was delayed for a bloody good reason though, because of course Ipswich Town played at Leicester City in a top of the table clash last night and friends, just like they did on Boxing Day, they came from behind, they ran towards adversity and got a late leveller, which shows once again the incredible fighting spirit, courage, resilience within this side. Courage, actually. I might check myself on that. Football players are show courage. Soldiers show courage. Firefighters show courage. Police officers show courage. Footballers just kick a ball around a pitch. So courage may be a bit strong, but they are very good at coming from behind, friends. I am Mark Heath, and with me, two of the most courageous kings I've ever worked with, Stuart Watson, Alex Jones. Stewie, first of all, how the bloody hell are you? Being a sports journalist isn't courageous, is it? It's a joke, to be honest, mate. What we do is a complete, complete joke. It's, a, it's a. We are stealing a living, mate. We, we get, we get paid well, to yeah, sit you've here. You've taken it to extremes again, football. haven't you? The hyperbole's <laughs> kicked in again. Uh, we're not courageous, but I wouldn't go as far as saying we're stealing a living either. Well, um, we're doing, we're doing a, a solid service, hopefully. Um, I wasn't ready to be dragged into this debate. Um, I'm fine, thank you. In answer to your opening question, I'm all good. Excellent. We are the we are the light amongst the shade, aren't we? That's what we are. Sport's important because it's not important. Everyone knows it doesn't really matter what happens on a football pitch, but you can invest everything in it and distract yourself from the the grim mundanities of life, friends. Which is basically what I say this podcast is all about. And on that spirit, AJ, how are you? I'm good. I'm hopefully sounding clearer because we had a very nice review coming for the pods last week. One of the bits said I was quite quiet. So I've gone and done some digging and found my microphone, which I had not previously set up because I kind of thought it existed. And hopefully you can now hear the absolute ramblings of myself in a, a much clearer tone, thanks to my my microphone. Yeah. Coming at you in stereo, hopefully, AJ, oh, yeah. this week for the first time. So let us know if that improves your audio experience. Obviously, unfortunately, you do still have to listen to us. I do have to start with an apology, friends. I've got the sniffles. Um, which may be slightly responsible for my my somewhat giddy start to the show. I am on quite a lot of drugs. But courageously, friends, I'll plough on for the good of you, the listener. Friends, there's only one place to start, of course, and that was at the King Power last night. Worcestershire Town, as I said, once again showed the resilience, the team spirit they have in this squad. They never know when they're beaten. They never give up. And Julie, they got another late equaliser against the top of the table, Leicester City, a side that may well end up going down as the best team in championship history. I'm going to ask you boys what you thought of it. But first of all, let's start by talking to the man who really matters. Let's hear from our Lord and Saviour, Kieran McKenna. Kieran, another late goal against the league leaders. Um, How do you reflect on that as a performance and a result? Yeah, I think the second half was, was much more like ourselves and we can take a lot of confidence and a lot of lessons from that. And, um, I thought on the balance of the second half, we we probably deserved to get something from the game. The first half was was difficult. Um, I don't think we managed to impose ourselves on the game as we would like to, and we didn't play with a conviction on or off the ball that we would like to, but it's a big step up, there's no doubt about it, and I think it felt like that in the first half of the players on the pitch. It's, it's a big step up in terms of the level of the opponent, and we've come a long way in a short space of time. Um, but I really like the second half. There was a real conviction in the in, in the dressing room at half time that, that we, we might lose the game, but we're gonna do our utmost to to play in our identity and if we're gonna lose we're gonna do it, you know, in our style. And I thought the second half was, was much closer to that. I thought it was a good game. Of course there's a chance that they get the second goal when the game really opens up, but 
I also thought that we had enough chances and really good situations that should have been chances if we'd have been a little bit more clinical to uh, to deserve something from the game. All right then, Watto. In our, frankly, joke of a job, there are a lot of cliches. It's cliche-ridden, isn't it, sports journalism? Um, but last night, friends, falls very much comfortably into a lovely footballing cliche because last night, Stuart Watson was a game of two halves, was it not? It was. I've got to muster up some enthusiasm to break this down now after being told that football doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's not life or death. And our joke's a job. But now we're going to spend an hour discussing 90 minutes. Mate, of we're getting football. paid for this. We get paid for this. <laughs> Stop saying that. Yes, we are. <laughs> and I did also get home very late last night. And uh, look, stop dragging me into this discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a game of two halves, Mark. It was the cliched game of two halves. Ipswich um, weren't at it at all in that first half. It reminded me a bit of that game at Leeds just before Christmas. Difference being that everything Leeds hit turned into into goals that day. Um, Leicester, not quite so ruthless, but they um, they certainly dominated Ipswich. I thought Ipswich showed them a little bit too much respect in terms of you know the the intensity of the press wasn't wasn't quite there. Um, just a few players slightly off it as well. Um, understandably, I think Lewis Travis looked like a player not not fully up to speed. Maybe adrenaline had got him through that first game against Sunderland. He was he was a yard off it. Massimo Luongo maybe not fully fit. He'd only been back in training for two days after that ankle injury. And um, yeah, Ipswich really struggled for any kind of foothold in in the final third, um, and were really quite fortunate only to be one goal down at half time. Yeah, what did you make of the team before we come to you, AJ um, Stewie? I, I know you said that on, on Twitter it was a pragmatic team selection. Obviously, a bit of a surprise to see Broadhead on on the bench. Perhaps, what, what did you make of all that? Um, I wasn't too surprised because if you remember in the in our preview stuff, I think um, Alex had Jack Taylor down for first goal scorer, and um, who was someone else had Broadhead down for first goal scorer as well, and. Uh, and then I said I could see both of them potentially dropping out the team. And, and that's uh, ultimately what happened. I just thought away to Leicester, the league leaders, one of the best sides in championship history. Ipswich would go with that more solid. McKenna would go with that more solid option. And, and Luongo and Travis um, was just that more solid option. Jack Taylor, I like as a player, but I think he's someone who's still transitioning from being a, a kind of a floating number 10 forward player, part of that forward unit to be in this kind of box-to-box number eight. Um, and, yeah, Broadhead, as said in the preview, he's, he's not been hitting his same heights of, of late. He's he's always been that sort of mercurial player that can, you know, when he's on it, he, he's a match winner. He's got that X factor, but he can also go quiet in games for for long spells and and he's maybe been guilty of a bit of tunnel vision in in recent games so um from what McKenna said afterwards I think Sarmiento was was in line to start this one uh, he had a little bit of a knock so in the end he went with Harness who is probably a bit more does what it says on the tin type player you know what you're going to get from him he's um physically he's going to give everything um he does the simple things well and so yeah, I, I could understand the reasoning behind behind those two changes. The idea was to to stay in the game, and then um, and then turn to the subs late, later on. And of course, with the with the lack of strikers at the moment, um, 
we know that Kieran McKenna likes to change his, his front four, particularly his striker, asks a lot of them physically. He needed someone in reserve for Caden Jackson in the second half. And so that's probably why uh, part of the reasoning why he kept Nathan Broadhead up his sleeve as well. Mm. AJ, you described the first half last night as difficult, which I think is fair. Do also have to remember, of course, that Leicester City are a very good football team. And it's not just town, you know, not playing very well. Leicester, I thought, were superb in that first half. Um, what, what did you make of the of the game as a whole? Yeah, I think when you look at the first half, you also have to look a lot at Leicester's setup. That despite the absentees, maybe in a way that made it a little bit harder because it was almost going into a bit of an unknown. Mm. Um, speaking to to Baz after the game, he kind of said Town knew that it was going to be one of two approaches and ended up taking a man-to-man approach uh, in the game, and that made it quite hard because they were just taking key individuals out of the game. You look across the ninety minutes. Uh, I think it was Ralph Face who, who stuck to Connor Chaplin like glue. He didn't get a sniff, for example. Lots of situations like that. As well, you look at what Leicester were doing with their formation. We mentioned it in the post-match video. Stu and I were spending most of the first half trying to figure out what was going on. Um, players absolutely everywhere. You had um, Ricardo Pereira, a natural right back, who ended up playing out on the left. Mm. Um, but he didn't really because he ended up switching around with Chowdhury. Chowdhury, the natural midfielder, come into left back. It was all over the place and trying to then, I mean, imagine you're a player on the pitch and you've been preparing for the last week. Here's what Leicester are probably going to do. And then they're all of a sudden just throwing players all over the place, midfielders in defence, wing backs into midfield, almost into the final third half of the time. It was just all over the place and it's what Leicester do so well. It's why Maresca is this disciple of Pep because you see Man City do it all the time in the Premier League. And that's another thing that, that made it so hard. Um, overall, I think one of the things you have to say is that they adapted to it very well. Obviously, as we've spoken about, the game of two halves, and that's a big thing because the end goal is that Town wants to play teams like this on a weekly basis in a higher division. Um, it's good experience ahead of hopefully at some point getting to that level. <clears throat> um, and that they'll learn a lot from these two games and to come away from the two games against Leicester with two one-all draws two deserved one-all draws, I'd say, being one of very few teams. I think it's one of three teams in total who have taken points off Leicester at the King Power. I think it's Hull, Leeds, and now Ipswich, the only three to have done it in the league so far this season. That says a lot. So I think it was really impressive. Mm. Pundits, just like you, AJ, you said you were you were trying to work out what Leicester were doing. Pundits on, on Sky Sports doing exactly the same commentaries. Um, Pereira all over the pitch, gushing in praise, etc., etc. What I... Town went in one nil down. You probably say they were quite lucky to go only go in one nil down. Leicester's goal, though, eerily similar, almost a carbon copy of Leif Davis's own goal at Leeds. Um, that's one of those where, again, after the game, pundits were saying, "Well, he could maybe have done a little bit better with that Leif Davis." I don't see how he could. The ball essentially just hits him as, he, as he's running towards the net. It takes a little touch off Hladky as well, which makes it even more annoying. Um, there's not a lot they can he could have done about that, is there, Watto? I don't think so. I've only seen it the once um live and then and then a replay um on a small screen straight afterwards. But yeah, that was my my instinct was that it was just a, a really sharp move. Mavadidi, nice sharp one two. He's put the ball, flashed the ball with, with pace across the box, and um I think you 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 picking at it a little bit if you're saying the goalkeeper could have done a bit more could Davis have done a bit more it's um I thought it was it was more to do with Leicester's good play and uh, an unfortunate one that couldn't have done much about 
Yeah, and it, it felt when that when that went in, it felt like it. We talked. I talked about being similar to Leeds. It felt like it, it. It had the potential to end up being like that Leeds game, uh, but ultimately, Alex Leicester weren't weren't quite as uh, ruthless, shall we say, as Leeds were. And also that man mm. in goal, Hladke, had quite a lot to do with that. He made some unbelievable saves. I thought last night. Yeah, I never really got that kind of fear when Leicester went forward. I don't know whether that's because when you look at the Leeds game, it's such a hostile, buzzing crowd that every time mm. you went forward. It just felt like you were, yeah, it was it's almost terrifying. Red arrows, kind of wingers running at you. And Mabadidi, as good as he is, I don't think has that same kind of real exciting, sharp, dangerous edge as someone like Crescencio Somerville, for example. And I think that was maybe a little bit of a difference. Um, so I never really looked at it thinking, oh my God, they're coming forward again. It's going to be another goal. It's, you know, terrifying attacking play. That's the big difference. And I know that's what a lot of people said with Leicester is that they are so good in so many ways. But when you watch them play, you'll never kind of, you never lose your breath over their attacking play, over their unbelievable quality all the time in the same way that you do with Leeds. Um, at the same time, yeah, they did obviously have the potential to be worse. And even though you're looking at that game thinking, wow, they're not this terrifying attacking unit, could have been two, probably even could have been three, potentially at a push if um, Leicester had been more ruthless kind of at the break. Um, Vaz, absolutely, second half, big saves. I think the first half, we kind of touched upon it um, in, in saying that he was a bit nervous in a way, especially playing out from the back. It felt like Leicester's forward line were putting a lot of pressure on when the when he had to clear it, he kind of clear it into midfield and it would just be right into the danger zone. Potentially part of that is not having Sam Morsey there because Sam Morsey is so often the outlet when you're trying to play out from the back. So I think that maybe plays a part, but he didn't look comfortable totally changed in the second half. So I think you have to praise, A, the saves that he makes. Um, that's a normal part of his game now. We're all used to that. Because he's made some absolutely unbelievable ones. And I think at some point, God, someone's going to make a compilation of some of the unbelievable saves he's made so far this season. But the other bit as well is how he adapted to playing out from the back against the top team in the division. That's not an easy thing to do. And you could see that in the first half to make that change pretty much in a 15-minute break and to improve that much going into the second half, really impressive. Mm. And, of course, they get to half-time and then things change and they came out like a like a different team straight away in the second half. Let's hear from, from Kieran McKenna um, about the comeback and then we can talk all about it. You know, I think coming back a lot and, and not losing many games, which we haven't done, is a good reflection on the culture in the group and the togetherness in the group. Um, there's a real, in general, there's a real belief in you know, how we play and what we do. And um, I believe that if we do that for 90 plus minutes, then we'll give ourselves a good chance to to win games or to score goals. Um, and tonight was a little bit different. I actually thought first half, the biggest issue was that we, we didn't manage to find that belief in ourselves and that conviction in ourselves. But, you know, we, we had a good chat at half time. And again, you know, there was a real, a real intent to go out in the second half and show that. And um, yeah, again, I think the players really believe that you know, to believe in how we train and how we work and that if we stick to the plan and try and do the right things for 90 minutes that, you know, we can score we can score more goals than the opposition um, quite regularly. So, uh, yeah, the players, are, you know, we've been through a good bit with the group now and when new players come into the group, they're, they're initiated pretty smoothly and, um, yeah, there's, I think, uh, generally a good belief in the group about doing the right things throughout the course of the game, believing in what we do and, um, trust in that we'll, we'll get the rewards more often than not. 
wasn't actually in that clip, which I thought it might be, um, Stewie, but there was a there was a, a nice line from McKenna um when you spoke to him post post match, which was if we're gonna lose, this is said at half time, if we're gonna lose, let's lose playing our way. And they certainly came out and started playing much like much more like the Ipswich Town we recognised in the second half. What what was what was key to, for you for the turnaround second half? Was it the town were that much better? Were Leicester's kind of content to sit off a bit more? What how did you analyse it? You're on mute, mate. Before we jump ahead to the um the substitutions, I thought they laid a good bit of groundwork before that in the early stages of that second half. I think Connor Chaplin won a corner within seconds. Leif Davis won a free kick up the left-hand side. I sort of used the term respectful in that in that first half, which I think they, they sat off Leicester a little bit too much. They didn't, I think, the mindset of the team selection and we let's stay in the game and give ourselves a chance later on maybe got taken to the extremes a little mm. bit too much. Um, because Le- Le- Leicester... Are fluid. They work the ball well, but you know they were they were without a few key players as well. They've got Tom Tom Cannon up front, McAteer on the right. That's not some of their household names weren't weren't available as well. And I think um, Ipswich realised at half time. I think Alex spoke to to Vaz and and he said that they do a lot of video analysis. They get they do a lot of you know they they immediately got that analysis at their fingertips where they can kind of solve the puzzle a little bit and work out where the gaps might be. Okay, Leicester are stopping us doing this, so we'll do this instead. Um, Playing out from the back, as I say, Vaz, Lewis Travis wasn't as comfortable. Normally that little straight pass, those little triangles, and then it normally results in Vaz playing a thread and a little straight pass into Morsi's feet on the edge of the box. And he's quite comfortable sort of taking the ball under pressure and turning people. Lewis Travis, not so much. And so I think they realised, right, we can't do that. First half, then Vaz started trying to clip little ones into midfield. That wasn't working. Second half, again, they solved the puzzle. We started playing rifling sort of diagonal passes out to the wings. So you can kind of, you can see it switch under McKenna. They work things out during the game and, um, you know, they, they, they figure things out. And um, so there was a combination of that, working things out tactically and also just having... As Kieran McKenna says, that bit more belief, that bit more conviction, that just just a bit more forward thrust about them. They started throwing a few more punches back, and yes, Leicester still caused them problems, but at least at least they were giving them something to think about. Hmm. Aja, do you want to talk a little bit about that then? What that kind of insight from Vaz? Because obviously, I'm fascinated with what McKenna may have said at half time and and how they change things. And he's clearly not going to go in and be a teacup chucker and just kind of fire them up. He's going to give you solid, calm, thoughtful analysis. So can you talk a little bit about, about what Baz told you? Yeah. Um, the analysis that they do half-time, I think that, as you say, McKenna isn't one to go out there and shout about what's gone wrong. He's someone that utilises the time very well. 15 mm. minutes is very much a finite amount of time to go out there and totally change a game of football, especially when you have a half like they had last night where it was pretty much one-way traffic, let's be honest, for, for the 45 minutes. So to go and do that in a short space of time is difficult. He's not one to sit down and say, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. You're not playing out and back well enough. You're not up to speed. He's someone that seems to sit them down. They obviously have the screens there, and immediately they get to work on, here's how to fix it, as Stu said. Um, 
there's been a few players that have spoken about the screens before. They seem to be quite a, a key part. I don't know exactly whether this is kind of like a... Oh, it'd be interesting to know, wouldn't it, how it works, mm. if they all have like individual tablets or something like that. They bring a big screen and have it in the dressing room. Um, a few players have mentioned this when I've spoken to them before in terms of how do things change at half-time? What does the manager say? They don't really kind of say, oh, you know, play with more desire and passion or anything like that. They, they all talk about the screens and talk about the work that they do in terms of, yeah, as you said, solving the puzzle. So that was really interesting. Um, it, it's Vaz is far from the only one who I've heard talk about it. Um, and yeah, modern football to an extent, I suppose. You wouldn't have seen any of this X amount of years ago. Um, it just works so well. And I think that, again, I don't know how it compares to other clubs at the level, other clubs maybe even higher up the level. I don't know to what extent they would work in the same way, but mm. I definitely says an argument in saying it plays a big part in the fact that, I mean, look at the record of coming from behind 21 points now in total. Um, that is probably, I'd say, about five or six clear of the next the next in that. I can't remember exactly what the numbers are in terms of the other teams, but that's absolutely astonishing. And it's partially that and, and partially the other bit that he spoke about quite passionately, Vaz, was they don't give up. And you're saying even if we're in a game where we're 2-0 down and being totally outplayed, we're, we're not in a situation where we're going to let our heads drop because we've been 2-0 down before and ended mm. up winning the game quite comfortably. Look at Cardiff. I, I think that probably the only exception to that would be the Leeds game, because that was just taken away from them in, in such a quick fashion. Um, but pretty much everything other than that, you can always see they've got that belief, be that, I mean, look at Wolves, for example, in the Carabao Cup, I think they were 2-0 down in that one as well. Um, the belief is a big part. I think that's something that Baz mentioned has been in the squad since Kieran McKenna came in. Mm. He brought in these ideas of, of having that, but... I think, yeah, definitely a big part in terms of the halftime analysis that they do. It's very, very thorough. And the players seem to be benefiting from it massively because they all mention it a lot. Mm. I'd imagine I get... footballers as a, <clears throat> as a breed are probably quite visual learners. On I've, mm. like, everyone sort of learns in different ways and soaks up information differently. I know I'm someone that quite likes visual cues. Um, and I would imagine footballers... That, if you can see something, you can you can envisage it a lot, a lot more. And... Um, so yeah, that's fascinating. That side of things that they can they can show it when you're in a game. I'm sure it feels very differently to that sort of higher picture view that you can see of a pitch. You might suddenly see something that you you just didn't realise while you were on the pitch. So that's fascinating. All that sort of in-game analysis, and then it's one thing being able to spot it. It's one thing then being able to show it to the players. But then you need someone who can articulate the point and get get information across quickly mm. and um, to the point. And, and Kieran McKenna, they, they've got someone who can do that. Yeah, I hope we get a bit more insight on actually boys going forward because I think that, that really is fascinating. And as you say, Stu, in, in McKenna, they've clearly got a, a really gifted communicator who can uh, kind of explain and enunciate things in terms of how to improve things. But equally, you have to have players who are receptive to that and can take that on and, and put it into action. You feel like with town, they have got that kind of almost perfect blend of players you know was it 10 11 of them are doing their, their coaching badges so they've all got that kind of that mind maybe geared towards yeah. receiving all this information at half time and putting it into practice yeah and we've said lots of times that i think one of kieran's big strengths is that he's very good at hiding weaknesses and highlighting strengths mm. within his team and within players and 
psychologically making sure that he focuses on the positives with his players. Caden Jackson's always used as, as the example here. Let's focus on what you can do and not what you you can't do. Um, okay, these are the players at my disposable uh, disposal today. You know, Caden Jackson, you're fast. Mm. You you you're one of the hardest workers. You can chase people down. Let, let's try and make let's try and make that work and and hide some of the weaknesses. Same like we just discussed, Lewis Travis. Okay, we worked out first half. Okay, you might not be the most comfortable receiving the ball on on the edge of your own box. Right, let's work out another way to to use some of the strengths and, and hide some of the weaknesses. I think he's, he's very good at, at working that out, Kieran, and then also making his players feel good about it as well. He's, you know, not going to, you, you know, like you say, not chucking teacups around, not saying you can't do this, you're not good enough at that. You just end up getting players playing with fear and going into their shells. He, he's very good at making them believe. Don't worry, stay calm. We've worked on this all week. You know what you're good at. <clears throat> Stick, stick to what you do and um, that's where a lot of this belief comes from I think yeah Neil Warnock particularly after the game was effusive in praise of McKenna he said I love listening to him I do um, that, was, that was basically exactly how he sounds Neil Warnock um, he said you'd think he was as old as me in terms of his kind of knowledge and the way he talks about about football one of the other things Alex of course McKenna is very good at is making substitutions and making the right substitutions and once again he did that in this game and how um, talk a little bit about about the subs and what they changed when they came on because it was brilliant. Energy more than anything. Um, I think all of them pretty much hit the ground running in some way. Maybe just get the elephant in the room out of the way a little bit. On that Nathan Broadhead was probably the frustration overall, just because it felt like he was getting into all the right areas and just couldn't pull the sugar. I just I don't know what it is, whether it's a, a lack of confidence or what. But, I mean, I'd assume that that's part of the reason he wasn't in the starting team. But there was clearly a frustration there. He'll get back to his best at some point. But this is a sticky patch for him. We can't brush that under the carpet. You look at the others, I thought they were all really excellent. Jack Taylor, someone who I've been a little bit frustrated with in the last few weeks. I, I thought that he brought something really good into the second half. Just how calm he was on the ball. Town needed spells of possession. And he was able to hold on to the ball, not panic. He looked really up for it, and that was really good to see after, as I said, maybe a few games where he hadn't quite hit those same levels. Obviously, the two standouts, uh, as expected, were going to be Amari Hutchinson and Jeremy Sarmiento. They combine so well. They're so similar. They're so fun to watch. They are so good on the ball. They're silky. They're smooth. And when you're running at players that are a little bit tired, you've got to bear in mind that Leicester, the way they play, means that they, there's a lot of energy going into their performances. And also there's players in there who haven't played regular football as well. You mm. look at Chowdhury coming in from the cold. He's not really, I don't think he started a game in quite a while. Um, so you, you're coming up against those kind of players and it's just easier for them to, to run at Leicester at that point. Uh, Amari Hutchinson causing all sorts of problems. Jeremy Sarmiento, so much fun to watch. Um, they, they were the game changers and... The task for them now is to show that they can do that from the start. Um, we've seen that a few times with Hutchinson. It's going to be the task for Sarmiento sooner rather than later. Um, regardless of whether that happens or not, you need starters and you need finishers. And substitutes have been such a key part of McKenna's game. Vaz spoke about this as well in terms of saying he's a manager that makes you feel that if you're on the bench, you've always got a part to play. And we've seen that with Marcus Harness, for example, mm. the Birmingham game, how that changed. Um Massive, massive impact. So it was really good to see. 
it's really exciting. They're so much fun to watch. Um, and it, it makes you feel confident knowing that even when the fixtures are going to get harder in terms of travel, in terms of timings, that these players can just come in and out and, and it doesn't feel like there's a massive drop in levels. And obviously there will be to an extent. But I think that the fact that it is quite a small drop, you know, you can take Harness out of the team and have someone like Sarmiento. Um, you can take Broadhead out, have someone like that, um, make those changes everywhere and, and still have good starters and good finishers. Really, really important. And it was just massive, wasn't it? It was what changed the game. Um, and then I guess on the other side, you look at Leicester and this was the frustration that I know a lot of their fans had with the home game on Boxing Day. Where were the subs? What did they do? It was really bizarre thinking, again, they had chances to go kill this off. Town were getting more dominant. They're growing into the game. All you need to do is maybe bring on one or two and you have the chance to go and kill it off. And they waited till the 80th minute. At that point, the pendulum had totally swung in Town's <clears> favour. <throat> um, just slightly strange to see that approach with uh, Maresca. And, I mean, it'll be his instructions, albeit he wasn't on the touchline in terms of making those changes. Um yeah, that's the big difference. Um, town make their substitutions 60, 70 minutes in. Um, the starters empty the tanks and the subs come on and they've got loads of space to run at tired players. And mm. it was a little bit peculiar to see Leicester not take a similar approach. I always think the mental impact as well. If you're if you're a, a defender who's, who's, who's you know, on, in the red zone after 60, 70 minutes and then you see Sarmiento and Hutchinson and Broadhead come on, you must think, fuck's sake, it's not really fair. Um, you know, th- there's definitely a mental impact. Did you enjoy the rewrite as well, AJ? I'm assuming you uh, you had to, just like me, mm-hmm. turn things around swiftly. Because last night, friends, uh, people behind the curtain, starting be- uh, the Ipswich Star deadline's 10 o'clock. So clearly with an 8 p.m. kickoff, it's very tight. Very tight indeed. So I was sitting there writing Ipswich Town last night, lost, you know, just the fourth loss of the season, third in the table, that kind of stuff. I pretty much finished the star back. I've got my back page pitch. I was just waiting for the game to finish. Of course, town. I should have known better. Never give up. Never surrender. Go and get the equaliser. So I was doing a very, very quick rewrite, swearing, cursing under my breath. And I assume it was the same for you at the King Power. Yeah, it was. I think I'd just about finished. So my introductions usually, the, the, the body of the text, no matter win or loss, will stay the same because it's just match action. The introduction and the ending, last paragraph, so about three in total, will change. Um, I'd just about finished things maybe 87 minutes in. Obviously, I mean, th- this is a tight deadline to work mm. with for an 8 o'clock kickoff. 7.45, got a little bit of leeway. 8 o'clock, just that 15 minutes makes a huge difference. Um, it's hard. And the fact that you're trying to balance that and another piece of work going on in the background, we'll get to that. And I've got very <laughs> yeah, strong... Yes, we will. We'll get to that. And I've got some very strong views in terms of the work that goes into that while also doing the match report, it's not an easy balance to find. Mm. Um, it, it's really, really difficult. So we've had that a couple of times now. Um, this this was hard. I've had a few that have kind of gone to the wire like this before, some very nervy rewrites. I think I've spoken quite a few times that Millwall were 2 nil up. Oh, sorry, 2 nil down at Swansea on a Tuesday night uh, and ended up scoring. They had two own goals that Swansea scored in stoppage time. And it finished two all. That was possibly the worst rewrite I've had. This was up there, I think, though. It was uh, a, a very sharp turnaround to get even those three paragraphs done to make sure you know you're working with about five minutes to spare. Not easy. 
Yeah, the joy of a, of a tight deadline. I should have listened to my wife, the Leicester fan, who was sitting next to me going, you're going to equalise, you're going to equalise, they're going to equalise. And, of course, when they did, she went, told you. And I was like, ah. Uh, Stuart, have you got the stat to hand on, on goals from subs? Because that's, that feels like quite a good segue into McKenna talking about old <clears throat> Juggador. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll find it for you now while we talk. I know it's 13 goals from substitutes this season now. Um, it's an even bigger number when you go back to the sort of the second half of, of last season. It's obviously become a real theme of mm. uh, of play under Ipswich, isn't it? Here we go. Um, yeah, 62 goals across all competitions this season, 13 of them from subs, so that's 21%. Um, so, yeah, men off the bench making a difference. Um, as we've said, there's the starters and the finishers, I imagine. Kieran McKenna, again, makes play. There's not many managers that can probably make you feel really good about being on the bench today yeah but you can almost visualize it and think you know if you're and the more it happens the more there's a body of work behind it and then those players are then thinking i could have that moment like jeremy sarmiento i could be that guy who goes and sends three and a half thousand away fans wild today because it's happened several times and today could be my time as well so um uh, yeah, I think that's that's the highest by by a considerable distance in in the league in terms of goals from subs, but not just the goals as well. It's it's the it's the general play, and I think it's it's having different qualities as well. It's not just necessarily having better or worse players that come on. It's just different players, and I think mm. um, Samiento and Hutchinson brought some different qualities to the party. It's very easy after substitutes make a difference to go, right, well, they've got to start in the next game and maybe that will happen at some stage for Samiento and he sounds like he was close to starting this one. But would that game have played out in, in the way it did had those players started? Not necessarily. I think that's all part part of the game plan. So, um, yeah, well done, Kieran McKenna. Now let's hear from Kieran McKenna talking about the man who saved the points, Jeremy Sarmiento. Going in and kind of crept in under, huh. under the goalkeeper. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, it's good habits to to follow it in, um, and it was quite an awkward one because he had to jump to get over the ball to you know try and get it down. So he did well to get it on target, and uh, yeah, pleased that it managed to to just slip in. He's hit the ground running with, with you, isn't he? Um, you said you, you felt that he was up to speed after getting quite a few minutes for, for West Brom in December. It's, uh, Three really exciting cameos from Jeremy now. Yeah, we really like him. We've liked him for you know quite a long time to be fair, and tried to bring him to the to the club in other windows as well. So we're glad that he's here. He's had a little knock since the Sunderland game, so you know other than that, there's a good chance he would have started tonight. But um, it was considered better for him to to come off the bench, and he's uh, he's bringing us good things. Um, there's still always a, a process to you know adapt to the intensity that we train and work at to to start games, but we don't think he's far away, and he's certainly a really talented player um, on the ball. But again, I think you know what's more important sometimes, and what really endears you to the supporters and to the group is is the commitment that you show off the ball, um, and he's he's shown that from. From the get-go, really, which is uh, you know made it really easy for the players to take to him as they have. I did not enjoy the use of the term "from the get-go." There, Kieran, terrible American slang. Um, do better, please. AJ, do you want to do you want to wax lyrical a bit about Jezza? Um, because he's made quite the impact, the boy, isn't he? He's got, as Julie says, he's got to be pushing. You'd think for for a place in the starting eleven. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, quite funny when he came in, and you're thinking you're getting these kind of maybe not negative reviews, but potentially some warnings from West Brom fans. Oh, he blows hot and cold. There are certain elements of his game that will hold him back from 
being a, a top player at this level, things like that. Um, from what we've seen so far, excellent. And he shows a lot of different elements to his game. I think the Sunderland one sticks out because he's got, he's got his goal. He's a fantastic dribbler. He's excellent on the ball. He works well in tight spaces. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch, as I've said. You know, he does all the flicks, tricks and spins, all those things. Um, a lot of off-the-ball work as well. He, he works hard. He's quite aggressive. He's quite fiery. He gets stuck in. He's quite a strong all-rounder. And in a way, yeah, that's maybe different to what we've got on a lot of the squad because we talk about players being... Um, well, having very specific qualities, for example, Kane Jackson, as we mentioned, is a very obvious one there. Um, but if you can have someone that can come on and add whatever you need essentially into a game, then that's perfect. And if he can do that from the start as well, then that's even better. Obviously, that's the next challenge. If he had started this game, would it have played out the same way? Potentially, who knows? Um, doing it from the start is a totally different thing because, in his case, against Leicester, he came on against the tired back line as town were kind of growing into the game there was more space to work with he was coming up against defenders that were probably thinking oh no i'm not looking forward to this as we've said um doing that from the start a, a different prospect you don't get the space to work with you've got top championship defenders that will know what you're all about and at their kind of full physical peak might kind of be able to stand up for the challenge a little bit more so it'll be interesting to see how he gets on when he gets those starts i think they will come sooner rather than later there are lots of good opportunities for him to get those minutes uh especially kind of february march time um that's that's the big thing now can he make that step up to be a, a starter at this level especially when town have so many options on the left mm. stewie um before we get into we want to have a, a good solid chat about ratings and who who impressed us and whatnot um but I, I particularly enjoyed a line in your verdict, which is it's something that I've thought as well about Leicester City's star man, squadron leader Kin and Dewsbury Hall, who, uh, yeah, you've got you've got some views on him, which I, I've got to be honest, having watched Leicester a lot this season with my wife, I agree with you, mate. Do you want to do you want to share those with the with the class? You've probably watched Leicester a lot more than I have. It's kind of been yeah. based off really the the two games that Ipswich have played against Leicester. Look, he, he's got a star quality. And he's heading to the Premier League, and he's a Premier League quality player. Wasn't too happy. Some of the mannerisms last night, it was twice in the first half where he had a golden chance to slip the ball to his teammate, completely overcooked the pass, and then kind of petulantly threw up his arms in, in despair at his teammates, as if to say, You should have been on the same wavelength as me instead of kind of taking responsibility. And, um, that was a pretty pathetic dive in the second half as well, wasn't Unbelievable. it? Unbelievable. Masamolongo sort of yeah. dived in and then realised he wasn't going to get the ball, retracted his leg and, um, yeah, Dewsbury Hall kind of uh, anticipating the contact just sort of collapsed his legs. Um, great bit of irony really there after he was sort of moaning about not getting a penalty at Portman Road and how refs can't miss that. And then he's... A, He's diving on the floor. It was a bit of an overreaction to the Harry Clark tackle on him as well, wasn't it? Where uh, that was full-blooded tackle, insert games gone here, cliche for that being given as a foul and, and a yellow card. Um, yeah, that's right up my street, that tackle. Um, I thought he was fully in control of that, got all of the ball, led with one leg. Um, again, he, I don't think there was really any contact, flew himself up in the air and was rolling about a bit as well. So yeah. we talk about the, the, the team spirit in the Ipswich group and I'm not sure 
you know, there's no big egos, there's no necessarily star men that are feeling themselves that are above anybody else, and that all feeds into the kind of subs tapping in and players being able to step in. I, I don't know if if, if Dewsbury Hall, um, I, I I think he he might be sort of uh, brought into order a little bit if he was in in Sam Morsey's camp and and others as well a little bit potentially. Yeah, that Clark tackle was was superb, Stu. If if we can't tackle like that anymore, what? What we're doing in football because as you say not only was it was it well timed he got the ball didn't make contact with the man you know I, I, I didn't see anything wrong with it no it wasn't like both both feet off the floor studs no. showing it's a good tackle anything. solid yeah. tackle yeah i think i think so i think if we're if we're not careful we're going to end up taking all kind of physicality and um tackling out the game if, if you're not careful Mr. Dewsbury Hall, having watched him a lot, it might puts me in mind of the uh, the famous Streets lyrics, "You're fit, but my God, don't you know it?" Um, he fancies himself the lad. He knows how good he is, and he's got that kind of little bit of petulance which comes along with it. Because um, as you say, that the, the the kind of penalty shout that he had, well, it wasn't a penalty shout, but the fact that he still went through with it, threw his hands up in the air, he must have known that it was nowhere near. I mean, the replay made him look ridiculous. Anyway. Um, moving on, moving on swiftly. Should we talk about ratings, AJ? <clears throat> because this is your, this is a difficult job, right? And it's a job that everyone has an opinion on um, because everyone watches a football game, I think, in different ways. And it's like, to use a term from boxing, it's what you like. When I, when I do the ratings, as I do periodically, I tend to reward attacking play. I'm not someone who really... Um, it's not I don't reward defensive excellence. Certainly, I thought Wolfenden was excellent last night, but I'm swayed more towards the attacking side of things. That's gonna that's gonna lead me to giving you higher marks if you're doing stuff going forward, probably unashamedly. Um, but the reason I talk about this now, A, is because everyone has an opinion on it. B, because we've got a nice hook because you've got beef with Westburn's dad now. Show some respect, Alex. Um, so I thought in this forum we give you the chance to defend yourself and talk about. The, I guess the methodology of it, because um, everyone has an opinion. So, friend, how would you like to start? Because I'll be honest, mate, when I looked at your ratings last night, I thought they're a bit low, considering they've just drawn 1-1 at the, at the best team in championship mm-hmm. history. Um, so how would, how would you defend yourself? I'm going to start off, David, Dave, if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast. Your son is a very talented footballer. He got quite a, a, a nice write-up, I thought, from me. I thought that, you know, energetic, lively, probably the liveliest of the front four, um, lacking a bit of end product. So ended up with a, a six, which I think was fair in my eyes. Um, I'm open to criticisms. At the same time, I would say if you or anyone else would like to come in and write a report and, well, how long was the report? 700 words. And then the, the player ratings, a little bit less, uh, to a deadline within 20 minutes of the game. Is, I mean, step up to the challenge. I'll, I'll step in there. That is, that, is a bit, that is a very tough job. Hutch uh, mm. used to call it like a... Because, A, you don't watch all of the game, do you? Because you're busy doing other things. So he always used to say it was like a sort of, almost like a feeling. Yeah. Um, he was doing the ratings uh, in the Kylie Minogue sort of desk. <laughs> and, and I don't think maybe people realise it is literally like you have minutes if that, especially last night to do it because we needed it again very quickly. So they're like your snap first kind of feelings, aren't they? Um, Mm -hmm. When when they're put out there. Um, Stu, have you got any any thoughts on the old, on the old ratings thing? I know it's not something you've you've done a lot of, um, but for me, right. When I'm doing the ratings and everyone's going to be different, everyone starts on a seven for me. 
that's the starting point for everyone because that's like a, an average performance. Seven out of 10 is average. And then I kind of add or subtract throughout the game. You either go down to a six or you go up to an eight with, a, with you know, good performances. And in very rare cases, you go up to a nine or you go down to a five or whatever. Um, have you got any thoughts on this, this ratings chat, Stewie? I did them for quite a long time, but they're more for, for print. Um, yeah. Yeah, I haven't sort of been the ratings man for for a little while, but I did them in print. I was telling Alex in the days where there was a about space for about a three three word review. That's right. Just yeah. about there was a little yeah. sidebar down the side of the match report. Yeah, and uh, you you'd just get same old phrases like um, sol- solid. Yep. Solid afternoons work. It kept it simple. Goal yeah. and assist nine yeah. or something like that. Um, they are hard to do. Uh, as Alex, it gets to the final sort of 10, 15 minutes of the game and Alex says, I need you to be my eyes here because he's got his head down in a report and we try and sort of back each other up a little bit. So, yeah, I think people would probably be surprised how how little of the game you you've you see sometimes. But um, it helps mm. when we had some replay screens now in, in the championship at some of these grounds. Um Still waiting for them to come in at Portman Road. If the uh, if the American owners are listening, if we can if we can have some replays up in the press box, that would be great. Um, yeah, it's difficult. Everyone looks at it differently. Um, that's why we love it. It's a game of an opinions, like you say. We all we like what we like. Um, yeah. I would say I would start on a six as probably the average, and work up from from there. Um, yeah, we we have a lot of chats about ratings in the car. I, as, as I did with Andy before and I do now with Alex, we, we play the ratings game. I try not to look at them and we get in the car and I'll, I'll run through them. And do you know what? As as was the case with Andy, I'm very rarely that far off from Alex, maybe two, two or three out one way or, or another. Um, yeah, we've, we've had a conversation about it. Try not to read too much into to some <laughs> of the response from them. That's uh, par for the course. Get your tin helmet on and, uh, and ride it out. Yeah, I think I mean, especially in a, in a game like last night yeah you look at you having to focus on the report and then do the ratings as well balancing the two things choose your eyes and ears the improvement came in the latter stages of the game so the better play that you've seen i'm sat there thinking oh i need to write all this out on top of that you're also thinking i've got to do the headline here come up with something that fits within the 85 character limit that's a nightmare half the time got to find the right photos because the photos are going to go in print you have mm. to make sure that they're all, you've got the captions and you've got the alternate, the, the text that describes what they are, um, balancing a lot of things there. So trying to do that, where you've also got Stu watching a lot of the game for you can be quite um, a tricky thing. And there are also tricky games that come with that. Sometimes it's dead easy. You play well, you win the game. Town for a lot of the game yesterday didn't play that well, I thought. And they got a good result and they did in a spell of the game, probably really when the subs came on around the hour mark, they were really, really good. Mm. But that's where you have to kind of find that balance. So with the ratings from last night, it was essentially just the balance. If you look, if that first half performance had carried on into the second half, could they have been lower ratings? Probably because I start on the six and then you're looking up, they played badly. So, well, not badly, but you know, they, they didn't play as, as good as they could have done. So you dropping players down, you're going to have a lot of fives and sixes. Probably you're then looking at players who come off. Connor Chaplin, for example, had a quiet game, got nullified out of it, and he didn't play any part in the latter 30 minutes of that game. So, how do you then do that? Because they've it's still got a big point. In these, in these sort of game of two halves that we're talking about mm. as well, they're really difficult because you'd have sort of a wild difference between sort of player 
ratings if you were giving them a first half and a second half performance as well. And quite often that can end up somewhere in the middle and it looks just like an average score. Um, when, yeah, it's, it's difficult. When Kieran McKenna talks about like focusing on performances rather than results and, you know, if you, if, if the performances are, are okay, then the, the results look after themselves just because you go and score a late, a late goal. That, that shouldn't really change. Alex sort of goes, well, should, should I bump everybody up a point across the board? And you think, well, just because they've scored a late goal, it doesn't change what happened before that. It doesn't change the performance of somebody who's come off the field before that, does it? So, um, yeah, you're never going to win with them. They're just the, the idea is just mm. to be a bit of a, a sliding scale in the conversation starter, isn't it? And also, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I look back on that now, and in the ones off the top of my head, I think I'd maybe have Harry Clark on a seven. Kane Jackson, I think I was too harsh, it's probably worth a, a six. Um, there are others, again, and it, it's a point here or there, and a point can look like a lot, but it, it's not a great deal. Um, and yeah, when you look back on it, when you're sat in the car thinking, oh, actually, he was a bit better than I thought, but you've only got that small little window, mm. I mean, especially after the game, because you're kind of having to formulate an opinion. I'd written about half of that by about the 65th, 70th minute. I think everything changes. So you've only got a small little window, 10 minutes potentially to go through and write everything up, make sure you've not made any mistakes. Because I've done that in the past. I had quite a bad one at West Brom where I said Luke Wolfenden and got caught up in an incident that he wasn't involved in at all. Um, you only have this tiny little window to go and make changes. And yeah, if you go and look back in hindsight, obviously there are going to be changes, but doing that in the moment is um, easier said than done, I think. Yeah, I think the key thing to remember with the ratings is for everyone is they're designed, it's an opinion, it's a conversation starter, uh, and it's nice to have a conversation around it. It's fun, but uh, as long as that's kind of civil and respectful, uh, I would say, uh, is the fun of the ratings. And I do, I do think, though, when players come off early, that's actually the, the easiest time to rate them because you've got that, that, that thinking time to kind of reflect on their performance, haven't you? It's not kind of uh, as on the whistle, I guess, as as uh, when you're rating at the end of the game. Um, but I do quite like the idea, Alex, which I think we're, we're going to lean heavily into, at least I am, that you are now the sort of Craig Revel Hallwood of, uh, of Ipswich Town ratings. You're the, you're the, uh, the one at the, the end. The Simon Cowell. The Simon Cowell, exactly. Everyone else, is, like, everyone everyone else, else is... is buzzing. Oh, last minute winner yeah. at Leicester. League leaders, fantastic result. And I'm thinking, yeah, absolutely. Oh, by the way, you're all getting fives. Yeah, five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this is, um, this will be my personality. Now. The out, the out of ten system is is feels a little bit. It's a bit ridiculous, really, because no one ever gets lower than a four. I don't think I've ever seen much lower than a four. Is like an absolute stinker. And I've given threes. Given threes against Barrow. I gave Barrow, everyone a three. Okay. And I was told that was too generous. You okay. see, AJ, you, you can't win. That's, that was another bad. The Barrow one always gets thrown at me because I've had fours before. And yeah. people say, you can't give fours in the championship because fours are saved for games like Barrow and ones where they're in League One playing terrible teams. That You know you can't give fours if they play badly in the championship because it's a totally different level. But that still doesn't mean that they played well. It still doesn't mean that their performance was worthy of a five. They went out there and had a really poor performance. It, it's all on a kind of a sliding scale. It doesn't really matter in terms of the level of opponent. I do try and factor that in a little bit when you look at last night. Look, if that was a game that they played against, um, okay, I won't know a team, but a mid-table team, then they probably would have been justifiably lower, could have been, because it is a totally different ballpark. Again, you have to give them credit for 
playing against the best team potentially in the history of the league. So always about trying to find those different balances, which is so hard with that. It's so hard with players coming off before games changing, substitutes coming on. Well, you can give him an eight, but he's only played 20 minutes, things like that. There's so many different things to juggle and everyone has a different opinion. The first reply I got to the player ratings last night was really like this one, agree with all of them. And then the next ones are just like people saying, what are you on about? Ridiculous, stupid, show some respect. Um, yeah, game of opinions. Um, always happy to kind of come in and debate. Often I'm wrong and you can look back on it in hindsight, but there are some that definitely I'd, I'd stick to my guns with. We get Excellent. stuff wrong all the time, but yeah. I don't I don't expect people to, to care one bit about the various plates that we're spinning, the logistics and the difficulty of the job. It's probably the same as a footballer that comes off and goes... You didn't realise what I've got going on at home. I'm actually got. I'm carrying an injury. I've got. I'm actually really got a really heavy cold at the moment, and I'm not feeling great. People turn up. They pay their money. They're not really that bothered about what's going on. They just expect people to perform. So probably on a smaller scale, it's the same as us. So probably just you just I just just got to remember that, like we said at the very start, it's um perspective about uh you know what what it actually means, what we're actually talking about. Um so. Yeah, it's all a bit of fun. Everyone just re remember that, please. Exactly. Uh, and, and speaking of fun, before we move on, friends, I've got to say I found Vaclav Hladky's unbelievable pass to Harry Clark last night, playing out from the back. That was a great deal of fun, Stuart Watson. That's the sort of pass that if a midfielder had played that, it would it would be on yeah. a loop on Sky Sports now. Everyone goes, like, oh, the vision, the Kevin waiting. Kevin De Bruyne arrest, Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, God. But because it's a keeper, it won't get the same kind of uh, uh, weight behind it. But it was beautiful. You know, when you hear some goalkeepers say, oh, yeah, I started as an outfield player and I, I, I yeah. I'm almost back myself out on pitch. And I think Thomas Holy actually said that at one stage and you kind of raised an eyebrow and thought, I'm not sure about that, Thomas. But in the case of Vaclav Hladky, um, you really would a bit like sort of, you know, with these modern day goalkeepers like Allison and Edison, you'd 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 back him um to be a, an outfield player um at a reasonable level because he's got an absolute ping on him and it was what I look back at it, I think I originally described it as a sixty yard pass and then realised I'd probably done him a disservice because by the time Harry Clark it's just it's rifled. It, the ball just mm. sort of fizzes about two yards off the the surface of the pitch and just goes into the path of Harry Clark perfectly. And I think it's probably about 80 yards by the time he actually latches onto the end of it. And um, Harry probably could have done a little bit better at the end of that. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, that that sums up sort of the character and belief. I thought Hagke's second half performance kind of summed up this kind of stick to, stick to our principles, stick to our belief. It would have been very easy for him to have gone into his shell a little bit. He'd gone through most of the season without any great wobbles at the back. Last few games, there's been one or two that have just... There was one early in this game where there was a few oohs and ahs and um, it would have been easy for him to just start going route one and a, and a bit more playing the percentages, but he, he doesn't. He believes himself and, and that kind of sums up the, the character of this team. The thing that extra added to that for me was I, I think he kind of even made... He put extra sauce on that because Clark was doing this and I think had he seen him and then pretended he's not seen him. And then in, in completely ignoring him, Clark suddenly got more space, which he plays him into. It's fantastic. Any other notes from the game, friends, uh, before we move on? We've spent 55 minutes talking about the game, about 15 minutes of that arguing about ratings. Um, anything else to mention, AJ? 
interesting light show before the game. There was a lot going on there. How was it? Just, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what are your takes on light shows at football games because former King Andy Warren has very strong views on this. As someone who goes to West Ham a lot, he's, um, he likes the ones they do there, but we went up to Middlesbrough, hated it. Last night, I thought it was actually it was okay. It was quite good. He hated it. Um, I don't know what you guys think well, about this. I, I, I reckon I know straight away what Watson thinks. None of that, none of that foreign muck. Come over from America, do you do your razzmatazz? It's not for me. Keep it simple. Meat and potatoes. Is that what you taste, you? I liked the one last night. Yes. To be fair, I thought it was all right. They did. They kept the sort of the the close up of the the fox's eyes up on the the two scoreboards at either end. I thought uh, I was. Uh, I didn't mind the one last night, but they can look a little bit naff. I remember going to Hull um, last time Ipswich, must have been last time Ipswich in the Championship and feeling that that was a bit naff. I can't really say why it was different. I think it was the accompanying music. I think, yeah, it just, um, yeah, they can, if you get them wrong, they can look a bit cheesy. But I thought that, what last night's yeah. one was all right. That was a Tuesday night, though, wasn't it? The one that stands out to me was Middlesbrough doing it for a three o'clock kickoff when it yeah. was day. And I was like, you can't see anything that's going on. It's bizarre. It's totally strange. Do it for a midweek game, fair enough. But if it's like literally how it is right now, totally baffling. I, I thought the atmosphere was, was rubbish last night, by the way. I really? thought it was really flat. For, for, for given Leicester, what they're being served up at the moment. I know we talked recently about maybe a bit of entitlement had crept in amongst Ipswich fans and maybe the atmosphere had just tailed off a little bit over the Christmas period and I thought, to be fair, Portman Road was back at it for the, for the Sunderland game and the away fans last night, again, were sensational. Um, but I thought the Leicester fans were pretty quiet, to be honest, considering they went one nil up, considering they'd lost to Coventry the previous weekend and you know, they were they were beating a team that was, you know, hot on their heels or, you know, up there in, in the table. I didn't think much of uh, the atmosphere at King Power, actually. Mm. Uh, do you know? I mean, in terms of razzmatazz, I'm very much all over razzmatazz. I'd have, I'd have more of it. Uh, you know, I want. We we get pyro. I want cannons. I want fly paths, flyovers from jets. I want people falling out the sky with match ball. You know, um, parachuting in because that's also gives it the possibility they land on the roof of the stadium accidentally. That kind of stuff. Um, I'm all for it. The the the, the only area because I know a lot of people go, oh, I don't like it. It's the American or oh, I don't like it. The the one area I would never go to is cheerleaders. Cheerleaders is is a step too far, I think, for football. But um, razzmatazz, tailgating, things exploding, all that kind of stuff. I'm absolutely all for that. No, I want it to go. I want yeah, like you say, meat, meat and potatoes, full on traditional english i want i want someone coming on at half time and kicking a football into a skip please uh, <laughs> while everyone sips on a on a lukewarm bovril that's me that's what that's cambridge united the, that's the football chip in the skip challenge with nick george beautiful stuff yeah. i think they still do it the best on the subject they might not know yeah on the yeah, subject of rasmus has i also miss at leicester particularly do you remember around the time when they won the premier league their pitches were unbelievable do you remember they used to sh um, like uh, not shave? That's not the right word. Cut um, shapes into the pitch. So they used to have. I remember one time they had the club badge in the centre circle, and they used to have like stars all over the pitch, and that got that got stopped because uh, linesmen said they couldn't see a straight line for judging offside. But they had some spectacular pitches back then. Again, I'm all for that. You see that in like home courts in uh, in the NBA when there's all sorts of designs on the court. Um, again, I'm, I know a lot of traditionalists will hate it, but 
I'm all for it. Make it entertainment, friends. That's what it is. Entertainment. If the game shit, shaving at least you've got not shaving, shaving the, you know what I mean. Use the code KOA. Yeah, you want to shave your pitch? <laughs> Use the code KOA, exactly. <laughs> friends, um, should we move on? Uh, should we talk about sexy stuff very briefly um, before we end this pod? Because I've got a meeting in 10 minutes. You had a chat with with Kim McKenna last night, Stewie. We got an update on the search for a striker and also old uh, B. Will, Brandon Williams. What's happening with him? Do you want to bring us up to speed? B. Will. Um, <laughs> that's very me. Um, no, no real update on the on the uh, on the on either. To be honest, do sort of asked it any nearer to a striker? Um, no, we all know what position we're trying to strengthen. Then corrected himself. Sorry, positions. Um, I assume that refers to potentially uh, Marvin Johnson or someone else to come in in the fullback position. But priority, as we know, is the striker. Um, no real update on that. I'll speak to Mark Ashton in the morning. My my focus has been on this Leicester game. Uh, we're doing everything we can, working really, really hard within the limitations that we have, which is obviously a referral to uh, Ipswich have got um, bucket loads of, of uh, American dollar behind them, but having it and being able to spend it within the, the rules and the laws of, of the game is another thing altogether. So... Um, no, no further progress on that. Obviously, we're now sat here on the twenty third of January. Was it a week, a week today that the window will will slam shut? So um, that looks like it's going to go down to the wire. It's felt like that on the striker situation for a little while. And um, Brandon Williams still still back at Manchester United, still going under undergoing medical assessment. Um, the first time we spoke to Kieran McKenna about that, it was very much a definitive. Um, we'd love to have him back. This time it was a uh, um, if he comes back, and we'll have to wait and see. So I think it's trending towards that um, mm. to him not coming back, and that and that makes sense. Why it's which are looking at someone like like Marvin Johnson just to bolster that fullback position. Feels very much like that, doesn't it? It's uh, a week on Thursday, Stu, deadline day. Is it's it okay. diaries, please? Um, February the first, eleven p.m. Slam shut. Um, Stick with us for all the latest on that. And I guess the other thing we should talk about in terms of sexy stuff is something that's happened since we last spoke. Freddie Ladapo exited the building. So I'm going to stick with you on this, Stu, because obviously you covered him last season when he played a, a really important part in, in promotion. 21 goals, all competitions. I think 21 goals in 25 starts off the top of my head. He was uh, he was very good off the bench. Um, AJ, your excellent analogy about the, the water levels rising, I think is spot on. And clearly Ladapo has, has been a victim of that. But what I don't want is for that to kind of diminish what he achieved while he was at the club because okay yes he might not be of top tier championship standard but he still um should be uh, remembered and praised and lauded for what he did last season Stu and if he's not if someone doesn't make the grade the water rises above their head fair enough they move on go with our best wishes uh yeah correct spot on I can't really add too much more than that his goals per game ratio or his goals per minute ratio is is fantastic um came in and did the job that was asked of him and was to to get the goals that propelled Ipswich towards promotion. Obviously, George Hurst then came in and took Ipswich to a, to another level last season. But um, we're talking about the role of finishers and substitutes. Freddie continued to do that last season, even after he'd lost his, his place, even in the early stages of this season. Uh, he's contributed to with two goals against Cardiff, has, has contributed massively to three points on the board there. Um, yeah, the the way it sort of ended um, was a shame, really, that he didn't leave, you know, perhaps in the same way that Kyle Edwards and Greg Lee left 
sort of lauded as being big personalities and people that played their their parts. Ultimately, Freddie Ladapo has played a lot more games and contributed a, a lot more goals and moments than than either of those two. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the water the water levels rising. Which I turned around to Alex after one of our recent pods and said, "I really like that analogy. I, that's really good." And he said. Yeah, I stole that off you. I heard you say it a few times, so I used it. So I, I can't even remember saying that, but um, I'll, this, I'll yeah, claim it is, back if that's that the case. True. I think <laughs> I said that first. Actually, thinking about it, was. <laughs> I think wasn't it wasn't it Ross? It definitely wasn't Ross. Yeah. <laughs> Nappy snaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, can't say much much more on Freddie really. I hope people sort of remember him for for the job he did and and wish him well. He's he's probably back at but his level if we're if we're mm. being honest. And um, yeah, that's that. I, even though it's a loan, it's sort of uh, the beginning of the end for him and his time at the club. You would imagine. Yeah, right then. Um, a few minutes left, AJ. We're not probably going to have another flagship KOA pod before Saturday's game. Ross will bring your fan social on. Thursday night. He's also bringing you the reason he's not here. He's working on other projects, um, which includes a special um, Maidstone-based uh, pod where he's, he's interviewing uh, George Fowler, formerly of this parish, who will be playing for Maidstone. So we're bringing you that. I think that will drop on Thursday morning, uh, which will make good listening because obviously it's kind of the George Fowler derby on Saturday. Your thoughts, though, AJ, if you could, in, in a succinct minute or so on the, the Maidstone game this weekend. FA Cup, a classic FA Cup tie, and I'm pleased to see it's on TV because these are exactly the sort of games that should be on TV. Everton, Crystal mm. Palace, nonsense. Get this sort of classic FA Cup game on TV. Of course, you won't know, but the idea of, of an Ipswich Town game being on TV against on the BBC against the non-league side brings back bad memories, shivers down the spine. And also, Cole Fuller told me the only other time before they've been on TV in the fourth round was back in like 2002. They lost 4-1 against Manchester City. So how are you feeling going to this particular game? Oh, bad omens, eh? Yeah, the Lincoln one, I know, is one that sticks in everyone's minds. Um, mm. I, the thing is, is that this probably would have been a game that a few years ago, town fans would have been absolutely dreading. But going into it now, there can't be anything other than confidence um, against a side that is semi-professional, playing six-tier football, will come with a point to prove. But at the moment, they've lost two on the bounce. They're playing again tonight. They have got another game. It's at home uh, against Braintree. So they've played a lot recently as well. Um, same time, big following. So I think they've sold out their away allocation 100 minutes after it went on general sale. That's about 4,000 that they're going to be bringing to Portland Road. Um, I agree. Big cup tie. That's that's kind of the thing. It, it isn't, you know, your Man United away or something like that. But it's what you want to see on TV, especially. It's the lowest ranked team in the competition against even the championship side in, in town. It's exciting. It's a big opportunity for Ipswich as well to reach the fifth round for the first time since 2005, I think. Maybe around that. Might have been a couple of years after that, but it's been a long time. So a good opportunity, a good opportunity to, to go through and progress. Still a banana skin, but I think it's set up really nicely to be a, a really good day for all involved, especially you look at a Maystone perspective as well. Um, pretty much win, lose or draw. They're all going to have a great day be a, a really nice one for their manager uh, George Elakobi who sounds like a lovely guy so um, yeah fingers crossed that's how it plays out mm. Any other business Stu? No I feel confident going into this one at the weekend um, yeah games on TV we used to fear those uh, you know various different um, things have been in, laid to rest un, under Kieran McKenna and, and sort of 
cup banana skins is, is another one that just doesn't, you know, they dealt with Buxton last year, they dealt with Bracknell, and I think they'll they'll deal quite comfortably with it being at Portman Road with, with Maidstone as well. There's not, I think there'll be a fair bit of rotation, but it will be, be a strong team full of first team players. And um, after a series of, of draws over the Christmas period, I think they'll they'll be really keen to, to get themselves through to win, to win well. A few players might want to get themselves amongst the goals. Someone like Nathan Broadhead, for example. Um, I think they'll I think they'll be absolutely fine on Saturday. I think it'll be a nice occasion and it's a chance to there'll be probably quite a few fans that haven't been able to get tickets this season that that can that can come along and take advantage of the ten pound ticket offer and hopefully it's a chance for the club to um to to attract even more people to come and be regular match day goers and um, convert some more younger fans and do all that good stuff as well. Mm, yeah, proper proper FA Cup ties this weekend. Right then, friends, we're done. Coming up on 70 minutes, it's time for us to take our leave. I've got a very important high-level meeting in about three minutes where I need to mentally prepare for, make notes, make sure I've got all my uh, my pens in a row, as it were, my ducks in a row, make sure it looks like I'm taking it seriously. Um, so just a reminder, friends, if you want to shave your pitch to the highest of standards, use the code KOA at manscaped.com for 20% off and free delivery on all that excellent stuff which includes pitch shaving devices as well as nose shaving, ear shaving, pants, cologne, various creams and tinctures get involved there. And the only way we can possibly finish the show today, given what we've talked about, boys, is uh, I want you to rate yourself out of 10 for your performance, please. Starting with you, AJ. Five. I'm harsh, even on myself. Yeah, you're <laughs> harsh, I, have to, I have to maintain this level. If I drop it, even for myself, if I don't, oh, eight, good performance, no, five. Keep that same energy. Stewie, what would you say? Six. That's a classic Watson as well. I'm going to, uh, you know, obviously, going to be more. I'll, I'll give myself a nine, boys, I reckon. Nine out of ten. Um, on that note, friends, have a great start to the week. Uh, look out for the, the rest of the pods coming your way. And we'll be back at some point next week to talk all about the FA Cup game and have a bit more fun hopefully next time. Cheers. Cheers.